This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Look at someone next to you and say, hey friend, we're going to get close today. (laughs) Good to see you guys at church today. If it's your first time here, welcome, welcome, welcome church. Say hello to those that are here for the very first time. Glad you're here today. My name is Landon. My wife Kelly and I have the great honor and privilege of pastoring this church and looking forward to meeting you very, very soon. And inside your worship guide, uh, fill out that connection card if you don't mind. And the same smiling people I handed you that worship guide will be the same ones that will take that card from you at the end of service. Uh, We are excited about uh, this week's message content. We're in the middle of a series called Friending. Nobody told us as adults it was going to be this hard to make friends, and all God's people said, amen. But we're going to dive right in today in our tagline for the series, show me your friends and I'll show you, everybody say it out loud, your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Look at Proverbs 13, 20, we're all going to read this out loud together. One, two, ready, read. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. You are the average of the five people you are closest to. We talked about that week one. Are you around people that are passionate, positive, hardworking, faith-filled? On the other hand, are you around and seeing this come up in yourself, maybe lazy, critical, self-centered, Highly opinionated people that have no action points to their opinion. You don't know anybody like that, though, do you? Last week, we learned about the three types of poverty. They were material poverty, which is what most of us will think about when we hear the word poverty. It's it's money, it's things, it's, it's belongings, it's that foundation there. There's spiritual poverty. That's very important. Without Jesus Christ, we are spiritually impoverished. Without him, we do not have the ability to be in right relationship to God, which is what the word righteousness means. It does not mean perfect. Without Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are spiritually impoverished. But then there was the third type of poverty, relational poverty. And the third type really jarred some of us when Pastor Kelly said it last week because you and I began to realize that maybe we were impoverished relationally. It is more so the case to be impoverished relationally in first world industrialized affluent countries because the more blessings, and I use this, you know, quotes, the more blessings we have, the more junk and stuff we have, the more storage unit facilities we have to build to fill all the stuff that you can't fit in your house anymore. The more blessings we have, the more we are losing the blessing of relationship. See, you and I have been taught to celebrate and strive to be independent. We've all seen Hamilton. We've all, we all get excited about being Americans. We all, like, we all like being independent. And not only do we like independence, we live in the Lone Star State. Forget the other 49 stars. We don't need them. First service gave the loudest amen after that point. Y'all need to pray for whoever was in first service. They need a lot of help. See, but what's interesting about that is it gets into how we see relationships. And God did not create us to be independent. We are dependent relational creatures. And it's very difficult for us to dive into dependence when we've been taught to be independent. Because being independent is biblically unchristian. Independence, you won't find independence anywhere in the Bible. I'm talking about you personally. I'm not talking about countries and all of that. It has nothing to do with geopolitical maps. I'm talking about your relational condition. None of us were created by God to be independent. 
And there's another thing that's true, and I believe this is true because we communicate this in church a lot. We even say it here. And you guys would believe this is true too, I believe, that you all need, we all need a personal relationship with God. Raise your hand if you would believe that. We all need a personal relationship with God. That is true, but it's incomplete. Lena, what are you saying, that God is not complete? No, there's another element that God created, and he's wondering when we're going to talk about it. It's about a shared relationship. We all need a personal relationship with God, but we also need a shared relationship where we can experience the character, the goodness, the beauty of God in the context of a genuine, loving, supportive, fight a bear for you, charge hell with a water pistol kind of church family. And I believe you are in one. We're all the charge the hell with a water pistol kind of people at. And I believe you're in one. We need family like that. But a lot of us have external blessings. We got the truck we want. We got the two and a half kids and the one and a quarter dogs. No cats because we believe in God. And, uh, but we are internally, <laughs> relationally impoverished. We got everything that they told us as independent thinkers that we needed to pursue the American dream, but we forgot about what God said. And our independence has run us into poverty. So let's talk about what causes relational poverty. Because I was like, well, if I was sitting in your seat and someone was talking to me about, you might be in poverty, I need to tell you what causes it. And what happens is when we study this out, you're going to start to see parts of your life. And I'm not expecting this to be like by the end of the sermon, you're just jumping up and down and the flags come out and tambourines and people are screaming and on the ground and speaking in tongues. This is going to be kind of like a, man, I need to go home and think about this kind of message. First thing that causes relational poverty is increased mobility. And what do you mean by that? Increased mobility. The average American right now moves cities or states every five years. The average American moves five average American moves every five years. If you're between the ages of 16 and 30, let's say 18 and 30, because if you're 16, you can't, you don't really do it. On your own anyway, you don't have any money. If you're 18 to 30, raise your hand if you're 18 to 30. You move every three years. If you're 18 to 30, you move. How can you get to know anybody in five years? In three years. In three years, we're barely deciding whether you're worth being around. Much less building lifelong relationships. We don't stick around anymore. Because now we can work remotely. I can work in Dallas and live in Florida. I can, you know, live. Uh, I can, no one would live in Kansas. I was about to say Kansas. Nobody would live there. Uh, you can live in northern Idaho and work in San Antonio and just fly down here every once in a while. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm done with northern Idaho. I'm going to move to southern California. And you realize that was a bad idea. So you move back to northern Idaho and you end up back in Texas and it just, it, we move all the time. Nobody stays. And so we're not building these relationships. Increased mobility, number one cause of relational poverty. Number two is modern conveniences. And so none of this is like in the Bible, right? This is just stuff we researched about what causes relational poverty. When we don't have friends, modern conveniences happen. Now, this might seem laughable to you, but air conditioning was the number one cause of modern conveniences contributing to relational poverty. I read an article called How the Air Conditioner Changed Humanity Forever. And I get it. We all wish this one had a better one. Everybody say amen to that. We all know. But I tell you what, before air conditioning, what did people do to cool off? They were outside, wrap around porches. You were with people. You were hanging out with people. You were in the water. You were with people. There was community involved, even with that element of living. The invention of the attached garage. I know it's crazy. There's some houses over by the church office and, and some older neighborhoods of shirts where they all have detached garages. And the problem with a detached garage is you still have to see your neighbor because you can't live in a detached garage. So even though you built a cute house for your car, now you still have to get out Shut the door and look at Chad or Karen who lives next door to you. And it's frustrating. You don't want to do it. 
So we were like, what if we took this tiny car house and smushed it up against the bigger human house and cut a hole between the two, and I don't have to see Chad at all. Now everybody does that. Nobody, you don't have to see, you're like Batman in the Batcave. Nobody even knows what you look like. And you come popping out in the dark, and they're like, what was that? I don't know, I think our neighbor left. What do they look like? I have no idea. They might have children, I don't know. Attached garage. Now this one's old school. Y'all remember this? You remember the Southwestern Bell Caller ID? Who remembers that? Do you have that at your house? Come on, we all just admitted how old we all are. And all the 18 to 30-year-olds that raised their hand earlier were like, I knew it. I knew it smelled like old people in here. <laughs> I remember the one on the left is exactly like the one we got when I was a kid. And I spent way too much time on Google trying to find that one. But I found it. And that's the one that we had. And I remember when we, we hooked it up to our phone that was connected to the wall in the kitchen. My dad hung the caller ID right next to, the, uh, to the, the phone that was connected by cord. kind of looked like that. And you had to wait two or three rings. Y'all remember this? Two or three rings. And if it popped up on the second ring, then you were like, whoa. Like, that person's like in the interwebs. Like, they know. Like, the, the world knows who they are. The third ringers was most of the people. And, and then the phone would ring, and you'd hear someone from across the house, don't touch it. <laughs> Number one, you can't touch the phone because you were on the Internet. <laughs> I remember that. Put the phone down. I'm trying to work. I remember looking at it, and they were like, don't answer that. Like, bring. Everyone's like, who is it? Bring. Shh. Like they can hear you. Bring. It pops up. Bling. You're like, no. No, I'm good. That was the first time ever in American history we could decide whether or not we wanted to talk to you or not by knowing who you were ahead of time. It's crazy. The 90s were crazy. And then I remember when we got that phone on the right-hand side, it was connected to the phone. And it would find out who you were on the first ring. And Big Brother took over. <laughs> That's when it all went downhill from there. Individual forms of entertainment. Modern convenience. Before, we all had to go to the movies. You were out with people. And even if you wanted to entertain yourself at home with a movie, where did you go? Blockbuster! Who remembers Blockbuster? Oh man, our Blockbuster in Odessa on West County Road was right next to Peter Piper Pizza. And we would go to Peter Piper Pizza, and then we would go to Blockbuster, and then we would, we would say, the movie's not here, the movie's not here, the um, movie's not here, because that jerk from school got there before you and knew you wanted to rent it, so they got to Blockbuster before you. It's something kids will never know the pain of. And then you ask the Blockbuster guy, can you dig through the return bin? <laughs> yes! You know the pain. It's awful how we all met Jesus was in a Blockbuster in the lowest part of our life, speaking in tongues on the floor. And then you open it up and those jerks didn't even rewind it. <laughs> Happened, it's real pain. And then now all of a sudden, like the rise of individual entertainment, you don't even have to leave your house to be entertained. You don't even have to leave your house. Everything's right there, right in front of your face, on your phone, on the TV. We all know. And I like that stuff. I like how convenient that is. I would not want to drive to a Blockbuster to do that anymore. Like that was something that needed to go away. And, but it put us in the room with people still. Can't tell you how many times we were at Blockbuster on a Friday night, which is where everybody was on a Friday night, and then people end up seeing you, grabbing a pizza, coming to your house because they saw you at Blockbuster. There was still community there. And now this one is going to, if you're trying out this church and you're wondering whether we're crazy or not, this one might break it. <laughs> now, I'm just, I love you, but this has contributed. Because you don't even have to go to this place anymore. You get online and you put all of your faith and trust in a 19-year-old to pick the right avocado. <laughs> H-E-B curbside has contributed to relational poverty. Now, I know, if that breaks the camel's back, I'm sorry. I got five churches I'd go to. I can send you there. They've never say blasphemy like that. They're just better pastors. But I'm telling you, these conveniences have contributed to relational poverty. All, we don't even have to talk to people anymore. 
So modern conveniences, increased mobility. So we're moving around all the time. We're not talking to people when we move around. And then number three is the obvious one you've been waiting on me to say is the rise in social media. I remember when Facebook came out, you had to have a .edu email address from your school. You had to have a registered government, um, you, you know, approved state of education college with an email address to get on Facebook. And I went to a Bible school that, that wasn't accredited through there at first, so I didn't have an EDU address. So in the beginning, I, I had a different email, so I couldn't get one, so I had to bum off Kelly's Facebook, but I was a MySpace man. And my MySpace page, I'm telling you, you would have been friends with me in a minute because you were like that, this dude knows what he's doing. You went to my page and you could put music on it. So I changed my music all the time. So I just wanted to keep everybody on their toes. And so one time they went to it and they log in. It's like, hush, little baby, don't say a word. It's Metallica. Then the next day they go to my page and it's like, saddle up your horses. They're like, what is this guy doing? And the next page is like getting jiggy with it. And they're like, what is going on? This guy's so confused. Customize everything. And I was like, Facebook will never take off. This is a joke. MySpace is never going to die. That was my first old man phrase I ever said. <laughs> but I remember reading this article this week while I was preparing for today. Social media is creating the epidemic of what they call deferred loneliness. It doesn't matter what the platform is. Because you and I don't have to connect with anybody to fill that loneliness. Like we don't have to meet face-to-face. But a face-to-face interaction wouldn't create deferred loneliness. It would create connection. So what we found out with our screen life is psychiatrists and psychologists are finding out now, because we're learning more about the brain now than has ever been learned in the last 30 years. And the neuroscience game is changing so fast, we're learning so much more. And so I love learning about that, because what we're finding out is these modern conveniences have delayed the, delayed the loneliness. So we don't feel like we're lonely, because we know what's going on with everybody. But our conscious mind, our prefrontal cortex, knows it's a lie. And so the more we do it, the more full of shame we get, tricking our subconscious into believing it was real. And around and around we go. So if we have, if we never stay in the same town, if we don't connect with anybody, if we only live right in front of us, that loneliness doesn't go away, it's just deferred until one day that deferral comes due like a student loan in depression, panic attacks, despondency, fear come to the surface out of nowhere. It's a slow fade, though. So we begin to think something is missing. Something's missing. Like, something is wrong. And then we ask questions like, well, what is wrong? Or what is wrong with me? What is going on? I want to tell you, yeah, there, is, there are some things that could change, but honestly, someone is missing. And not just someone is missing, A group of someones is missing. Here's the key thought for today. You are one community away from changing the course of your entire destiny. One community away. Imagine some of you, you've told me your story. Imagine what your life would look like had you not met the people in this room. What would your life look like? I think about what would my life look like if I didn't have the people in my life that are in it now? If, what would happen to me? What would have happened to my kids? And I know that I can write that statement and it be true because the community around me has changed my destiny. I was asked this week by someone, what's your secret? And I didn't know like what they meant. Like, what's your secret to letting your kids live this long? Like, what's your... Secret to being married this long? Uh, you know, how have you had her put up with you for 19 years? Or like, was it ministry? Like, how have you stayed in San Antonio since 2007? Like, what, what's the secret? And, they, and I said, what do, you, what do you mean? Be more specific. They said, how have you stayed married and in the ministry this long? Because the average American pastor now is quitting after year three. So how have you stayed in this for 19 years? And they were probably waiting on, like, this very interesting answer, like, well, I fast and pray eight days a week. That's how. That's how. 
I keep anointing oil in my pocket just in case. And it's in a squirt gun. So just anointing people in the face all day. They were like waiting. They're probably waiting on this really spiritual answer. And what I said to them was lifelong, long-term, genuine relationships is the reason I'm still in the game. It's the reason I'm still married. It's the reason I'm still here is because of the people in my life. They did not expect that. And Kelly and I have been blessed with very beautiful, long-term, deep, life-giving relationships. And in fun times, hard times, laughing times, crying times, conversations and dreaming about the future together. And now we look up and everybody, like our, our close friend circle, all their kids are serving God. And our kids are, are growing up in it and, and hosting people and serving God. And guys, this does not happen by accident. Nobody is just going to show up at your house and dump a best friend on your porch. It has to be cultivated. It has to be commitment. Look at Acts chapter 2, 42 through 46. They devoted. Everybody say Devoted. It wasn't half-hearted. It was devotion. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now let's put this in modern vernacular. They weren't flaky. They didn't cop out on each other. They ate brisket at people's houses and prayed for each other. That is the Texas version of the verse. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, so they were in church, and they were in small group. They devoted themselves to that. Let's continue. It was, in a, it was a community centered around Christ, by the way, not a sport, not a community event. It was Jesus. And then it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders that was happening. The things that were going on in their church, what the apostles were teaching, what was happening in their body, it was filling them with awe, like, I can't believe my life gets to have this. All the believers were, say it out loud. Together. Say it out loud. Together. Say it better together. Say it, say it together. together. They were together. That means they weren't watching church online. They were together. And they had everything in common. That needs explained. Because you're sitting next to someone, you're like, I don't even know if I like them. I got to love them because we're going to heaven together, but I don't like that person. So how do I have everything in common with them? It's not talking about the stuff when you were like, we have so much in common. It's not talking about that. It's talking about values. Like, we don't miss church because a kid gets a sniffle. It's because you gave him too much sugar this weekend. Like, there's, like, values. Like, God matters more than my football game. We're talking about values. We're talking about my kid's not missing church to throw a ball. That coach can miss them one day a week. We're talking about values. We're talking about that everything in common, that this matters more. Because when you leave here, when you, when you leave my house, the only thing that will matter is the values you were taught. Is it your faith or were you borrowing mine? They had everything in common. It was deeper. And then you want to see love, what love is? Because culture is hijacking the word. So we got to take the word love back because God created it. God is love. Amen. So here's what it is. They sold property and possessions and made sure everybody was okay. Every day they went to church. So they, they were like, hey, are you, are you guys okay? Man, we just have been hit. The medical bills are killing us. And I've seen this happen. I grew up in church, I'm blessed by that, and I, my testimony is just not one where I crawled out of a dark hole. That happened to me later on in life, but it wasn't when I was a kid. And I saw this happen with people when I was a kid, people in church would be like, hey, you need something? They would sell something and buy someone a car. They, this is like, we all think Oprah gave cars first. 
But it was the church. It was the church, the church taking care of each other, making sure you, you and the only reason they were able to sell things and give to those who had need is because they were close enough to know the need. They were in proximity. They covered family because family protects family. And then it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And because God is such a good God, food was mentioned twice. <laughs> it's always there. They broke bread in their homes, had people over in their home, and they were glad about it. And it was sincere. You are one community away from changing the course of your destiny. You don't stumble into this type of community, by the way. You have to cultivate it. You got to show up for it. You got to allow yourself to be inconvenienced by it. You can't be flaky. You got to fight for it. You devote yourselves to it. So there's three qualities of a great community. You got to know this. What are the three things when we're looking at biblical community? What are the three qualities of great community? Because some of you have been to church for a long time, your whole life, but you weren't in community. You left your church and they didn't even know you were gone. And I know that's true for some of you because you've told me. And then after they see you repost one of our amazing sermons, they're like, where did you go? That was a joke. You guys are supposed to laugh at that. Like, I didn't know you were gone. Now, we have to dig into what is God saying? What, what kind of relationships does God want you to have? And they're all weird metaphors, so just roll with me today. All right, number one, you got to have refrigerator rights or icebox rights, whatever you called it, the fridge. We got to have refrigerator rights. Family doesn't have to ask. Family doesn't have to ask to family doesn't ring the doorbell. In fact, there are some people that are so close to me, if they rang the doorbell and made me get up, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> like, you know the code to my lock. You know I'm here because my truck's here. Why did you make me get up? Just walk in and get your drink and sit down. Like, but then there's other people, if you knew the code to my door and got in my house, I'm like, can I help you? Why are you in my fridge? You getting all of my sh Shasta. Why are you? <laughs> Why are you in there? You all know that you got people like, you don't want, don't just come up in my house. There's people, though, that have refrigerator rights. Remember the, a couple weeks ago I talked about everybody needs puzzle friends. Everybody needs people in their life that have refrigerator rights. If you didn't know them, they crossed the line. It's weird at best. It's weird at best, but there are people who come to my house, and they just kind of sit their butt up on our island, which is fine because so, they feel at home. I don't even let my kids do that, but I let friends do it. <laughs> but if somebody else I didn't really know came in and just put their butt on my counter, I'd be like, can you get your hind parts off where I eat? I'd be, I'd be glad for that. Thank you. I don't know where you've been. When people come to our house that have refrigerator rights, they just jump in the fridge. They know where the spoons are. They don't ask me, do you have a servings? But when they come to our small groups or whatever, they, if they got refrigerators, they've been there before, they just start opening drawers. They know which ones are creaky, which drawer hits the other drawer because the handles I bought are too long. They know all of that. And so they know the way around. They know where the trash can is because it's hidden in a cabinet. They know, they know all of that stuff, and they just get what they need. But then you can tell when you're hosting people, and it's hosting, like they said, at the dining table. And the flatware's prepared, and the napkins are cute, and whatever. You get out the plates the kids haven't destroyed. You make it look nice. But if friends come over, I'm like, you didn't bring hot wings? You just want me to host this whole thing. Like, it's like you just get real snarky with each other. That's a refrigerator right friend. Don't come over to my house empty-handed. You know, it's like you just start going at each other. It's just how friends work. But when you don't have intimacy of relationship because it's not been cultivated, you don't get the blessing of that closeness and freedom. So if you're working like a dog 
and then barely surviving at home, you'll never have friends with refrigerator rights. And at the end of your life, when you get on your deathbed and someone asks you the proverbial question, what would you have done differently with your life? Are you going to say nothing? I'm so glad I worked 100 hours a week. I'm so glad I did that. Are you going to want the people around you that were in your fridge all the time? You got to think about it. What kind of life do you want to have? Acts 2.44, all believers were together. They had everything in common. So I'm going to ask you, how many people in your life have refrigerator rights? Is there anybody that, if they came over to your house today, knowing you're watching the Cowboys game, it's the late game, so y'all don't leave church early. Could they just walk up in your house, sit down with you, uninvited, knowing that you're home, and they just want to be with you? If the answer to that is no, you are relationally impoverished. And we said in week number one, do you have five friends that would fly across the country for you at 2 a.m. if you needed them? If there's no one you can call, you have to start cultivating relationships. And Kelly and I didn't always have this in our life. When I started Bible college, I had a professor who told us, do not be close to people. And I grew up in a little bitty family church. My great-grandmother was my pastor my whole life. Everyone who was singing on stage had spanked me at one point. So <laughs> that's the kind of church I grew up in. And I was 18. They were still spanking. I'm just kidding. So, and I remember, like, how close we were. So I went to Bible school. I didn't know how, like, non-family ran a church. And then he told me that. I was like, well, they must be right because, like, my family ran a church. Like, that, might, that was just something I grew up in, but that's not how everybody else is, so maybe they're right. And then he said, you have to guard the pastor's mystique. And I thought mystique was the perfume my mom wore. And so I'm like, I don't know what that means. And, and he said, you cannot let them get close. And then we got really lonely. Nobody was at our house. We couldn't let them see how we really live. And then I remember the day that, that everyone found out I was a real human. I thought I was going to die. I was like, how do they know? Like, they, how do they know we need to eat and drink? Like, how does that, like, how, how did they find out? Like, you, I remember how stressful that was. But when we looked up and realized that we were in need of what they all had and we were leading them, something was wrong. The risk of having people in your life is far less than the risk of keeping people out of your life. We all need genuine, godly, life-giving community. That's why you need to be in a small group. So if you're not in a small group, it's the best way in God's church to find life-giving, game-changing community. Quality number two. So you got to have people with refrigerator rights. Come drink your Shasta. Quality number two. We all have flawed feet. Sounds weird. Let me explain. So we're going to put some feet up on the screen. You're going to tell me what church member it is. I'm just kidding. Y'all calm down. Y'all calm down. <laughs> Someone just said, yes, that's interesting. You should please come forward for prayer later. <laughs> please. You, God will heal you of that weirdness. All right, quality number two. We all have flawed feet. Let me explain. Let me explain. Company comes over. You're like, you better put on a real shirt. Which, in my opinion, tank tops are real shirts. Where are my friends at? They're real shirts. Thank you. Thank you. We just proved our age again. Quality number two, flop feet. Put on a real shirt. I remember one time someone was coming over to the house, and my mom said, Donnie, put on shoes. Don't let them see your toes. <laughs> I didn't know what was wrong with my dad's. I didn't stare at my dad's feet. I didn't know. But I, I didn't forget that. And I was, that's why I wrote this down, because I'm like, this is interesting, because there are some people that come over, you don't care. There are some people that come over, you're like, they can't see that. Vacuum the floor. Hurry up. Don't let it look like anyone lives here. Don't, like, is there toilet paper? Do not let them think we use the restroom. It needs to be perfect. Don't touch anything. Kids are walking around. Like, I just mopped there. Like, <laughs> I don't know where to go. Your kids are trapped in their own home. Nothing's safe with you. Everything's got to be perfect. The greenery's got to be fluffed. Everything's in place. But we all have flawed feet. Look at this scripture, Romans 15. Paul's talking to the Romans, and the, the Romans were, hmm, 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 and they still are. Picture the Vatican. 
That's how they were, still are. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted who? When we accept one another the way Jesus accepted you, what does it do? It brings praise to God. We just worshiped God, right? The team did a great job. They led you in beautiful worship. Accepting each other's flaws is just as much worship as what we did up here today. We all have flaws. There's some friends of mine. We've walked through people struggling with pornography, people struggling, and then we all get on the phone. There are friends of mine that see everything that I go to on my phone, and there's friends that I see everything they go to on their phone. Every day I get a report at 4 o'clock of everything they've seen. Every screenshot, it blurs out the bank account numbers, or we build the building. I'm just, I'm just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> but they know everything. Why? Because it's too important to play games with. But if they weren't honest with me, I wouldn't be able to do that for them. People got flaws. What about when their kids are having disciplinary challenges? You know you got, you're a real friend when someone says, you're raising them wrong. You got friends that can tell you that? You got friends that can look at you and go, your kid needs a whooping. Because you got two choices. One choice right then is to say, back off. Or the other one is, what do you see that I don't see? There's no other option. If they're real friends, you want to know what they see because friends cover each other's blind spots. So you want to hear it. You want to see it. It matters. So we help each other with that too. These are things that have actually happened in my life. Those are things I'm writing down. We learned together, awkward conversations. We helped each other out. Some people have neglected their family. They took a job. It took them out of church, took them out of small group. They were working 90 hours a week. And we finally had to say, well, who died and made you important? Because you're neglecting your family, dude. So they would take a $20,000 pay cut to put values back on the table. Like these are, these are things friends help friends with. Find it difficult in life. You need people. You know, like we, people struggling with materialism, and you know how much they make because we're all friends, and after 20 years, it comes out what you make. And you're like, I know you don't make the amount of money to have that truck because I've been looking at that truck, and I want that truck, and I know how much it costs. How did you do that? Like, did you just you forget your and your wife's goals to pay your house off in 10 years, and you just had a weak moment? She's like, yeah, she didn't know I bought it. Take it back now, or you're going to die. Take it back. <laughs> Guys, you got to have people in your life that know your flaws and help you stay straight. And since we're family, we stay together. We don't back off. And when we're wrong, we support each other. When we're hurt, we apologize and we bridge the gap with truth. And in Scripture, there was a verse I found that's very interesting in 2 Samuel 9. It's about a guy named Mephibosheth, and he was born with club feet. And he got to eat at the king's table. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. He ate at the king's table always, but he was lame in both feet. What's interesting about this, I want you to see the metaphor here. We all have flaws we wish we didn't have. Every one of you. But guess what you don't see when you're sitting at the king's table? When we're in genuine community and we pull ourselves up to the table of real friendship, our flaws don't matter because we see the person. We're able to connect eye to eye without looking through the filter of our sin. And then when we're close at the table, we all know what's there. But it's not the object of conversation. It's you as a person. It's you. When we are pulled up to the table of genuine community, we allow God to do what he does and people to do what people do. We allow God to use people to help heal our lives. You see the power in that? Isn't that a beautiful metaphor? And I just love that picture that it gave me. So pull up to the table of the Lord with your flawed feet. Get some people in your life with the refrigerator rights. And number three, to keep with the weird metaphors that are unconnected, we fight lions. Let me explain. 1 Peter 5.8, be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? Devour. Does it say mess with? Does it say toy with? So the little Elmer Fudd, you know, that had the devil and the angel. Like we created this mindset in our children that the devil is just picking at you when actually he wants, he's bloodthirsty. He wants to take you out. 
The enemy wants to take you out and pick you off and take away everything in your life that matters to God. Look at this video. In this video, I was going to say it in an Australian accent, but I don't want to get stuck in character. So, <laughs> crikey. Crikey. So these water buffalo, they're just coming to the watering hole. They have no idea that there's a group of lions and lionesses, because really it's the lionesses that hunt. The dudes are lazy. So the lionesses are the ones that hunt. And then she's like, oh, my God. There's a bunch of lions hiding in there. And then, look, they go get the most vulnerable, cute one and take him out. Where did the rest of the family go? They're gone. This poor little water buffalo is being eaten alive. He's been eaten alive. <laughs> the lions are thinking they're about to have a barbecue for their small group. And they're, 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 they're excited about it. They finally pull the baby buffalo up, and then they're, they're thinking it's all over. They're thinking everything's great. They're thinking everything's fine. And then out of nowhere, they start to hear hooves by the hundreds. The herd is on the move. They come back knowing that they could be killed themselves. They come back, and they're like, back off my family. The devil better get his hands off my small group friend. The devil better get his hands off my team leader. The devil better get his hands off my dream team. The devil better get his hands off my friend's finances. And not only better get his hands off, we're going to play offense, not defense. We're going to throw those lines up. We're going to save the baby. And not only are we going to save, we're going to chase you down until the devil hangs himself on the gallows he built. And I just wonder how many of you are living life without a herd that will come back for you. How many of you are living life without a herd that will chase the devil off of your marriage for you? How many of you are living life, men, how many of you are living life without genuine men who will look at you and tell you the truth about how you're living your life? How many of you are living life, even students, how many of you students are living life without genuine community because the people that are calling themselves your friends, they wouldn't come back and fight a lion for you? Your pack is here. Your herd is here. In genuine community, we got people that will fight for us to protect us. We stand together and fight. Christianity is not a playground. It's a battleground. And we're going to fight depression together, financial issues together, parenting journeys together, job issues together, issues with work together, spiritual direction together, fight for wisdom together. We fight lions together. And you're not going to go down in the water. Why? Because there's a herd of people who have refrigerator rights in your life that are not willing to give up that refrigerator. There's a herd of people in your life that are not willing to let you go down a path that they know is going to take you out. And at risk of losing relationship, they will tell you that you're wrong and you're not seeing it right. And you got a choice there to fight the herd and be alone or to be in real family and let them save you. You're one community away from changing your destiny forever. You don't want to fight life alone. What you want is the strength of the body of Christ with you, fighting for you, not letting you go. Why? Because when you're alone, you're vulnerable. And some of you are vulnerable right now. Some of you are one community away from changing the course of your destiny. And that's when we, see, we start to see that we're not relationally impoverished, we are filthy rich. We can bet on that. It's meaningful. In fact, Jesus' words in John 13 come to life in a different way at that point. Everyone will know that you're my friends, that you're my disciples, if you say it out loud. Love one another. And not phileo, not brotherly love. 
It's agape love. It's, I know you got flawed feet, but I love you. I know you frustrated me, but I love you. I know I got offended with you, but I love you. And I'm not letting go of this relationship. I'm not backing off. As long as we're talking, the devil loses. He's such a coward, he can only live in the dark. But if we bring it out in the open, in 19 years, I've never seen this proven wrong. Light comes to a situation, the roaches scatter, and the devil gets a black eye. You're one community away from changing your life forever. Prayer partners, go ahead and come down front. Everybody stand to your feet today. Some of you, you drive to work alone, you work out alone, you watch TV alone, you pray alone, you shop alone, you cry alone. What did God say in the book of Genesis? It wasn't just because a man needed a wall man. What did Genesis say? It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good to be alone. And guess what? God usually will put you in a family that frustrates you. Raise your hand if you've ever been frustrated by a family member. If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. You need to come down front and receive healing for lying. But what I will tell you is that family is frustrating. Because when they have refrigerator rights, they take the last thing you were hiding. You hid the pepperoni under the salad, knowing no one would find it. But a real friend knows you and knows you're gonna hide the meat under the rabbit food. They know. Guys, we need people like that. Allow the process to take place. Is it going to be easy? No. But it's worth it. I said it's worth it. It's worth it. So, Father, right now, I pray by the name of Jesus that you would stir up your church, that we would be the church and love one another like you do us. Very about and every eye closed. Just be honest. How many of you would say, Landon, I, I see that God wants this for me and that he created me to not be independent but be dependent. And I want refrigerator rights to someone's life and I want to give refrigerator rights to somebody. I want, to, I, I want God to lead me into that way and I want to have the courage to walk it out. Raise your hand if you know you need that in your life. Good, 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 good. God, I pray right now for everybody that said, that's me. God, I thank you for their honesty. God, give them a divine desire to not only have a personal relationship with you, but a shared relationship with you. To know you in the broader context of a life-giving, genuine community. Not to go to church, but to be the church. To do life together. To create divine connections. Even today, God, would there be divine connections made outside under the blue tent at the coffee cart. God, that we would be able to begin cultivating genuine relationship with each other. And that we would not fall victim to relational poverty and be picked off by the enemy when he comes to devour, but that we would have Christian, spirit-filled, refrigerator rights, devil hate and charge hell with a water pistol kind of friends that would jump back into battle to save us when we're going down in the water. God, I pray that you will bless every person in this room with friends like that. That you would give them the courage and the boldness to go after it. Go through all the awkward stuff, the text messages, the schedule, all of that to get in a room, to get at a restaurant, to hang out together, to watch that game, to be friends that save each other when we need saved. With every about it, every eye still closed, I want you just to eliminate the distractions and think about this. Some of you are in spiritual poverty. Some of you are, are in a spiritual poverty where you know, you know that Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life. And it is going to be impossible for you to have the kind of friends that would come back to fight a lion for you if you're not in right relationship with Jesus. How can we find good friends if we don't know our best friend? The one who died for you, spilled every last drop of blood for you, rose from the dead three days later to save your life 
and defeated death, hell, and the grave, took every penalty of your sin on himself so you wouldn't have to experience eternal death, but that you can have eternal life. That's Jesus Christ and only him. You can find God everywhere, but you won't experience the depth of God until you know his son, until you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. So in this moment, you have an opportunity to come pray with the prayer partner and tell them, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I'm tired of living life alone. I want good friends that know Jesus to have access to my fridge. I want people to fight for me, and I'm tired of doing it this way. I want to submit to God's creation plan for me and take that step forward. I can't make that for you. I can't take that step for you. But today, you can move forward in your faith knowing that Jesus brought you to this room on purpose today to hear this message on purpose today. So take a step of purpose this morning and you'll find out that he is good, 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 good. So everybody just lift your hands to the Lord in this moment. I'm gonna pray. And when I'm done praying, the band is gonna sing. There's communion on the sides of the stage. The prayer partners will be available. Come take communion. Come pray with somebody. If you need healing in your body, your finances, your marriage, whatever it is, especially in your relationships, come and have someone pray with you that God will put you in the right rooms with the right people at the right time. And so God, we pray right now that you would remove any fear that we have of what anybody's gonna think when I take a step forward. Remove any fear that I'm worried about what tomorrow will look like. I know that my God is for me. Who can be against me? And there is hope for tomorrow that I am not going to go into tomorrow alone. I'm taking a step forward today on purpose to see God's purpose come alive in my life today. So God, give them holy boldness to take a step forward today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. The band's gonna lead us in a song. Come and respond and take communion. We'll end the service here shortly. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, Tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.